What's the hardest part of your faith to talk about? What's the least comfortable conversation you can have as a Christian today? I don't know about you, but I find most of the time it's conversations about sex and gender identity and transgender and, and those sorts of things. People look at us like we have two heads, or we keep silent, or we don't even know exactly what to say. I was intrigued recently, uh, author and pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City wrote an entire book uh, as an intro, or, or a, a prequel if you will, to his book uh, called The Reason for God, which is trying to reach out to, to people in our culture and, and speak about faith in a way that would connect with them. And he wrote an entire prequel basically saying the reason that I needed to write something before reasoning about faith was because sex and gender identity and stuff like that is such a huge issue and such a change in our culture. Well, that's the topic that David Pallison and I tackle today in a podcast about gender identity and how we can think about responding to and reaching out to the people around us in the face of a very, very challenging issue. Listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Hello, and welcome to CCEF On The Go. I'm your host, Alistair Groves. I serve on faculty here at CCEF, and I also run our New England office. Today, my conversation is with David Pallison, who is CCEF's executive director uh, and author of countless articles and books. Uh, most recently, he published a book called Good and Angry, Redeeming Anger, Irritation, Complaining, and Bitterness. David, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I am well, Alistair, and it's I'm always better talking to you, so it's a pleasure to be able to connect. <laughs> You're kind. Thank you. Um, you know, topic today that I wanted to get your input on is this issue of gender identity, and it's increasingly something that I am seeing people around me think about. It, it comes up, of course, in our political dialogue, and you see stuff about it in the news and everything that's gone on with North Carolina in the last few months. Um, and I think as I hear Christians around me talking about it, I, I hear a few different things, but I hear a, a general level of concern that um, our, our culture is embracing something that uh, is not good, is, is not biblical, and how they think about gender and identity and people transitioning genders and reassignment surgeries and, and all the rest. Um, and then I also hear this concern for um, not pushing people away from the faith and, and from the church. And so I I sense a lot of the people that I know living in this tension in between, okay, I want to I wanna love people who are different, who believe different things than me, and yet at the same time, I find myself very troubled by where the culture is going, and and people, I find, are are not sure how to think about this, um, and not even sure how to think about the, the right and wrong, the, the ethical issues. Is it okay to feel like I'm a man, but being a woman's body, or vice versa? If so, what should I do about that? Is, is that sinful? Is that just how God made me? So the, all these questions, I think, are, are bubbling around that I am bumping into. Sure. Um, where I hear most um, 
thoughtful Christians beginning their own thinking about this is in Genesis 1 and thinking about, okay, God made humans, male and female, and uh, that sets a trajectory through the rest of Scripture. That's our sort of foundation. This is where we start our thinking about this kind of question. And I'd be interested to hear, I know this is something you've thought and spoken a lot about, is that where you tend to start in your own thinking? Is that uh, the seminal passage for you? Are there other scriptures that direct you? Or how would you, where's the platform from which you step off into this conversation? Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great uh, question. The, uh, it's interesting uh, just hearing you pose that question because I don't start the conversation at Genesis 1. Uh, I would describe Genesis 1 as deep structure. It's this framing background, but it, it's not going to be, it, it's the difference between your, your deep structure, your formal theological convictions about true and false, right and wrong, good and evil. You know, it, it, it's formative there, but when you're talking about how to engage someone who is arguing a different way or is having a different sort of experience of their sexuality, the, I tend to start, try to start more by connecting to what the, what the experiential issues are. And so I want to find a point of contact in hmm. the, how this person is, in this case, constructing identity. And one of the, so I, I might say that my core conviction that is first on the table as I'm looking for a point of contact is that the fallen human heart, without fail, misconstrues who I am. It's, hmm. in a sense, I'm starting with, with an implication of Romans 1. It, you know, that, that fallen human hearts suppress the knowledge of God, which I think one of the direct correlates to that is thus we suppress the knowledge of who we really are. We, because if who I am as a human being is, I am in the image of God, I am a creature, I am dependent, I am accountable to Him, He is actually the one who defines who I am. There's an outside voice defining who I most truly am. And that outside mm -hmm. voice actually defines where my own sense of who I am, my conscience, the way I evaluate myself, the way I understand anything in life. He, he assesses whether that's true or false and then mm -hmm. uh, offers an alternative. So I would actually start much more widely than what you might call gender identity and just start about identity in, in as a wider concept that the human heart is a misconstruer of who we really are and that part part then of the essence of biblical revelation is giving us a new identity and it's an mm -hmm. identity that uh, the, the, the place in scripture a lot of places you can go but the place I most love on the way we construct identity is Ephesians and there must be, depending on what you consider to be an identity statement, 20 or 30 different identity statements just within six short chapters. And every single one of them is God-referential. So being a child of God, being part of the wife of Christ, being this temple in whom God dwells, being chosen of God, being a servant of God, being, you know, it, being a saint unto God, 
uh, being in Christ. There are all being these treasure, sure. yeah, all sorts of things. You know, uh, even your clothing is is God Himself. You know, the 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 armor of of, of God, the armor of who who He is, and what His purposes and ways and such are. So that'd be my starting point. Uh, is a, is a wider concept of how identity is a is a complicated yeah. issue, and and thus you can immediately broaden it and say, you know, what people are doing with, with with their sexual feelings is no different from lots of other ways people misconstruct an identity around their social status, the amount of money they have, how far they're along on their bucket list, who hmm. their friends are, whether they, you know, how their sports team is doing. There are a, a hundred different ways to go astray in who how we think about who we really are and uh, sex obviously has the headlines sure. these days but it's a it's it the, that's just the local variant mm-hmm. if you will on a pathology of the heart that it applies in all times and places mm-hmm. that, it's helpful to me David that you're trying to broaden out in the way you are will you um, will you take that a step further toward uh, the particulars of, of gender dysphoria, a sense of I am not, I, I want to be, be careful not to overgeneralize here, but my, my sense of the problem is something like I don't feel like I fit in this body that has this gender. And often also mm-hmm. a sense of I don't feel like I fit into this society as this kind of gender. But, it, but it's a both ends and, and people in general, in in my experience, talk more in terms of the physical, biological, it's the body that's the problem for me. Um, Although I certainly see plenty of places too where there's a social sense of I don't feel like a man or a woman. Um, Do you want to say a little bit more, talk about a point of contact you could see yourself making there. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, it's interesting even the way you framed your question is one of the one of the big, you know, debate points is the relationship between male-female and masculine-feminine, which is, you know, sort of the difference between sex and gender. And your even your question nicely plays with the fact that it's it, that could be complicated, and and uh, people can feel certainly feel a disconnect um, between either and right. or, you know, body right. and or society. The, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be personal in, in, a, in a certain sense. I've, I've never felt a disconnect with my body. But one of the things I'm very grateful for is that I had a father who was clearly the man of the house, and he was a very sensitive man. He cared about people. He was very compassionate. He, he wept at things that were hard and difficult. He had an empathy. And so far from those traits, those more sensitive traits, and uh, he had an appreciation for the fact that I was an artistic, uh, aesthetically wired kind of person. So the, if I were to go by the, the kind of Marlboro Man <laughs> gender definition of masculinity, uh, I'd come out a girl. Sure. It, sure. Uh, it's, it's actually been a source of humor uh, at times with my wife and myself because those sort of men are from Mars, women from Venus, you know, men's minds are like boxes, women's minds are like spaghetti, you know, men are black and white and women see all the connections. It, uh, on those, uh, my wife comes out as the guy and I come out as the girl. And uh, so I'm very grateful, both for being a Christian, obviously, mm-hmm. because it, God does not 
uh, give warrant for those uh, cultural biases that can shape that. Um, but also just for an upbringing in which who I was as someone who was more on the sensitive end of the spectrum had no problem seeing that as a legitimate part of what it would mean to be a man. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, that's an initial mm -hmm. comment. Uh, jumping in more specifically on your, uh, on your question, uh, let, me, let me pick up just a piece of it and not talk about the culture at large, but talk about the experience of professing Christians who feel those, you know, dysphorias or disconnects. Yeah. And I, I had a really interesting conversation with, a, with an old friend, someone I went to college with, hadn't seen since the late 60s. Uh, he was a few years older than me. And... He's a professor at an Ivy League university. He's a biochemist. Um, he's not a Christian. He actually tracked me down, wanted to get together for lunch, reconnect, and he wanted to ask me questions first just about what biblical counseling is, which was interesting to yeah. be uh, really engaged by someone who is a, a terrific scientist, always asks the right follow-up questions got it, um, never did explain what was driving his interest, but I, I look forward to a follow-up conversation. But then uh, halfway through our conversation, switched gears and said, well, what about issues of gender and same-sex attraction and transgender right. and so forth? Like, how do you, as a biblical counselor, approach that? And that opened the door for two points that seemed to me really central to how we as Christians think about this issue in the first place with our own brothers and sisters who right. struggle. And so the first point that I said to him was, you know, I'm not out there proselytizing to the world and getting into the, the political are you for or against. Like, I, the people I talk with want help because they, themse they themselves sense a different kind of dysphoria or disconnect between their sexual feelings, their gender feelings, and their faith. Hmm. And then the second point, they sense that disconnect because they have a deeper sense of their identity than their sexual impulses. And their identity roots in something where the particular objects of their sexual attraction, arousal, affection, are not the defining thing about them, and they find their, uh, their attractions actually contradict their deeper sense of identity. And he totally got it. Huh. You know, it was, a, it was a fascinating conversation. It didn't take kind of a, a politically correct sort of turn, and he wasn't asking a loaded question. He, it made sense to him. And so one of the ways you could put that very practically is that if you think about gender identity, that there's actually something wrong with my gender identity being same-sex attracted. Parallel to my gender identity is I have transgender, transsexual feelings. Parallel, my sense of identity being I am a heterosexual. Defining oneself by 
hmm. one's sexuality as the core. Uh, the so that was that that I think is a starting point. That it's the it's this question of identity that that run that do you make your sexuality a prime point in your identity, or is it a one of many hmm. things that are part of the overall mix and makeup? Uh, but it but it's not the definitive issue on who you are, and thus. Yeah, there's a dysphoria that can be in a person between their body and their and their sexual uh, or their sense of gender identity. Right. Uh, there's also a dysphoria between their sense of gender identity or sexual feelings and their deeper right. identity. And I just think that that issue just clears up a lot of uh, a lot of fuzz and confusion about the issue because you can so easily generalize it. The uh, you know, what if your sense is that I am a heterosexual male and, you know, through, you know, you're married and you have opportunity for sexual life and then your wife dies or becomes disabled or uh, you age and become no longer uh, sexually uh, mm -hmm. potent and have you lost your identity? Hmm. And I do think one of the glories of an identity that's in Christ is it is the one identity that can never be lost. It's not your huh. resume. It's not your sex. It's not your money. Not even in death. Huh. It's not your, your athletic ability, how good looking you are. It's an identity deeper than all those things, which actually is critical to then when you perish physically or when you lose X, Y, or Z. Sure. Are you losing your identity, or are you just losing something that uh, was was one part of the whole, but your identity is mm. eternal? Hmm. You're getting me going in lots of directions. For the sake of, of time, I think I want to ask you just two more. And let, let me start with the one that um, probably for me is most most poignant, and especially as a father of young children. My, my kids are seven, uh, almost five, and two. I'm just thinking about them as they try to navigate this, but the, the the poignant question that I probably come across most often is, how do I handle this with my own child? Okay, my my child is saying, you know, let, let's 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 take a you know a nine or a ten year old, and the child is articulating a sense of I don't belong in this body. I feel like a girl or I feel like a boy, and I I I want to live as that instead, and and at that age. Presumably, mostly, we're not talking about a, a sexual attraction. We're talking about a simply a statement of yeah, a, a, a gender thing rather than a sexuality thing, per se. Mm -hmm. and obviously, there's going to be different situations for different families, and, and each parent, and each child is is different. But any thoughts on a just a start towards how would I respond to a a, a troubled parent who's saying what what do I do? How do I speak to my child? How do I connect? What what kind of approach should I take? Any, any just off the, off the top thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, boy, that's a that's great why question. I'm you. And <laughs> it's going to, it's going to vary based on, you know, you've alluded to that just based on so many different circumstances of, is the child fearful about it? Are they confused about it? Are they assertive hmm. about it? Uh, you know, what? What form does a is there a curiosity that a cro, you know cross dressing or something like that that seems fascinating mm -hmm. and um, 
So in that sense, any a generalization is not going to always apply. But I, I think I, I think the the first thing I would say is that the, for the parent to settle into a commitment to a patient process. Mm -hmm. And now one of the landmark passages on ministry to people is in First Thessalonians 5. Um, admonish the unruly, which means there's times where someone is acting out and you, you confront them in love. Encourage the faint-hearted. It's a very term of just tender encouragement and reality testing and mm. arm around the shoulder. Hang on to the weak. Just, you know, hold fast to them. Don't let them go. To, and then the closing line is be patient with them all. And I, I, it's no, I think it's no accident that the first ingredient in how love is defined is love is patient. So I think for a parent to to grapple with the shock and the concern and the anxiety and the fear and the um, sort of catastrophic imaginations of what might happen, but then to actually settle in their hearts, you know, here's here's where my child is struggling, and if my child are struggling with a temper, if my child are struggling with being very anxious socially and being afraid to go to school, if my child are struggling with either fears of food or you know, extreme gluttonous desires for certain sure. kinds of food, I would need to do ministry. And that ministry uh, can never go in, much as I wish, and throw the switches in my child's heart. But I can patiently and persistently seek to, to bring what is true and right and good to bear. And, you know, that is a place where the the Genesis 1 bedrock certainly comes in, uh, you know, well, you are a boy, you know, and it's not, it's, it's not an unknown thing for someone who's a boy to struggle with feeling like they might wish they were a girl or they might feel like they are or, or sure more, more like certain things that are girl like, um, but you are a boy. And let's, let's work together for how you can be a boy that is, uh, you know, has the, some of the kinds of sensitivities and such that you do. Um, I've known a number of people over the years who, for example, would, men who'd come across very feminine, who were, uh, you know, interior designers or, um, uh, you know, very aesthetically oriented, very... Um, you know, by mannerism might be thought to be homosexual or, or very sure. effeminate, who are men. And they had to come to terms with the fact that they were not going to be, uh, you know, a type A male, but that they, their identity was mastered by their faith in Christ and they lived as a man and because they right. were a man. Mm. So those would be a, a couple of thoughts just kind of getting the ball rolling to you know, patience is always so key because it it refuses to give way to panic and and then desperate measures and aggressions and quick fixes and magic cures and and then just the the simple reality of what is that you are a boy or you are a girl. Mm. And one of the marks of sanity 
moral sanity as well as, uh, you know, kind of theological sanity is, is you live in terms of what is, and we, you learn to live in terms of what is, both who we are and what the creation is, and who God is, and who Christ is, and what suffering is, and, uh, you know, what we can learn about cells and galaxies, mm. and there's just something about living with what is that is a uniquely um, powerful Christian value. You know, one one thought, just quickly picking up on that, and then I'll I'll ask my final question, which will be much shorter. Um, but just, it's helpful to me to be reminded that um, so many aspects of what God gives us are blessings that come with struggles and challenges. And there are so many places where you will be asked as a person of faith to endure things that are difficult to struggle. And I appreciate the way you're saying there's just something about patience that accepts, okay, this may be an ongoing struggle uh, that just normalizes this thing that uh, for so many is is so out there in left field and we don't know what to do with it. But just say, yeah, okay, well, like any struggle you have with, with who you are or who you aren't and, and who you wish you could be or feel like you were made to be, but don't have the capacity or the the strength or the opportunity or whatever the case may be, there's something about living with a sense that God is telling a good story. He has a good intent in all that he's bringing about. And at the end of the day, I can trust him if he has put me in a male body or a female body to have made that decision, even if I find that difficult. And, and there's actually a a strengthening of, of faith across the board that can come from wrestling yeah. in this particular situation. Um, David, let me let me ask yeah. you my final. Oh, you go know, ahead. Actually, let me can, let me just add one thing to that. That, and it's not as though uh, people who are kind of alternative gender, alternative sexuality drawn uniquely have this struggle, right? I mean, it, everyone struggles at some level with impulses, romantic, sexual impulses that are askew and the so the notion that one that one part of of life uh, you brought up can involve enduring certain pain and struggle it also involves learning in a in a in an essential way to say no to to uh, to some or many of the impulses we find rising up within us and those aren't just sexual they're Impulses to be mean, or to be a mm. thief, or to uh, to give way to fear, or to be lazy and avoid something, or to tell a lie. Mm. It uh, so there is there is a sense where the where the biblical understanding of our of what it means that we're redeemed people. One 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 of the many definitions or angles on understanding that is we are people who actually learn to say no to things that arise within us. And to say no for a reason, because there's a bigger yes that we're mm -hmm. saying to, to who God is and to what's true and what's right and what's good and loving and so forth. Mm. Well, that leads perfectly into my last question, which is, um, I don't imagine too many 10-year-olds will ever listen to this podcast, but uh, I would love for you to pray for, um, for the children, uh, for the parents of children wrestling with this, and, and for adults who are... Uh, still asking questions, or perhaps uh, for some it was not a question that even was raised until they were an adult, but that that disconnect between sense of body, sense of gender. Would you just would you just pray for those who uh, who mm -hmm. may listen to this, who are who are feeling 
those those painful tensions um, in light of what we've been saying. Mm -hmm. Sure. Our Father, we thank you that there is no part of what it means that we're human that is outside of your care, your gaze, your will, your concern, your ability to enter in and to bring about a redemption into something that is holy and true. And Lord, I praise you for the many men and women I know who have lived long, long years with saying no to things that really arose uh, very powerfully from inside them and with dignity, with courage, with a sense of self-respect, with a deeper core to who they understood themselves to be. They have they've sought to live an honorable life within the struggle that they were dealt. Lord, all of us face a, a struggle like that in some ways, but we do know that to feel that a disconnect with one's own body is a particularly painful, difficult uh, struggle to face. Would you give grace? Give grace to, to children who are wondering and confused. Give grace to parents who want to be sources of wisdom and refuge and genuine aid and guidance. And give, rise, give, give wisdom to those who are adults who, who wrestle, who want to wrestle honestly, or who don't wrestle that need to wrestle honestly, and to embrace what is actually true. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David, thank you so much for your time. You are welcome, Alistair. If you enjoyed today's podcast and you're looking for more information or more resources, one thing you might want to check out is a talk by Mike Emlett called Truly Male, Truly Female, A Biblical View. It's a talk he gave at our 2008 National Conference, and I was there and, and heard it live. I really appreciated just the balance he brought to the topic, uh, pushing us forward, but trying not to overstate things that shouldn't be overstated. Uh, he's looking at the broader question of just what does it mean to be male, what does it mean to be female in our culture, uh, not so much focusing on bodies per se. Um, but he engages with some of the well-known thinkers out there like John Eldridge and so on and so forth. And if that sounds interesting to you, you can find that on our website available for purchase. It's at ccef.org and you can find a host of other resources there on a multitude of topics as well.